I kind of wanted to, as I was meditating a little bit earlier, I felt I want to go in just a little bit different of uh, a, a train of thought, if you will, as I was praying. And I kind of wanted to pick up from uh, earlier this morning with regards to ministering in the Spirit. And I want to, of course, from the Scripture, bring some light out in this particular area as well you know, I've been in ministry, I think it's probably been at least 16 years, 20 years, and I don't know, I was from, from back in 93, so I don't know whatever that is from 2016. How, honey, you should know this right off the top of your head. Oh, I'm the math person, but not right now, so. But for all this time, and I wanted to kind of share certain things, and as I stated, pick up from this morning. You know, when we had the altar call this morning, if you remember, it, it was specifically towards those who needed healing within their body. You remember that? And then as everybody responded, I kind of gave this exhortation and said, if Jesus came right now through the back door, incarnate, knowing what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if he was to get up here and do a teaching, deliver the word, brought it to an end, did a benediction, and you needed healing in your body, knowing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what would you do? And I felt like the light bulb went on with many of you, but I wanted to work off of that premise a little bit more. And I want to ask this question, if this could be maybe a sermon title, is there a fight on the inside of you? Is there a fight on the inside of you? I can honestly say, with respect to my spiritual development, it does not work like chronological or natural age. You know, as you get older, we naturally decay, if you will, but your spiritual age is actually determined by your pursuit in God. That means you can be three years old in God, born again, and you can be spiritually advanced. We learn this from Jesus himself, who at 12 years old, he was so advanced that even on an academic level, he was baffling the teachers of his age. So this shows the tremendous pursuit. He said, I had to be about in my father's house. So there was a desire and there was a godly ambition on the inside of them. And so this fight of faith is very necessary for me and for you. Otherwise, we will suffer defeats all through our life. And there's nothing wrong with suffering defeats. The question becomes, when you suffer defeat, do you have a fight inside of you to get back up? And I found that many people, they get defeated and they allow that to define them. Rather than learning to get back up, And it doesn't matter how many times you fall, as long as you learn something from that fall, it will never be your failure. I'm going to say that again. Just because you fall doesn't mean you're a failure. You're only a failure when you fall, you don't get back up. Did you get that? So none of us are called to be failures. Yes, we may fall, but we're never a failure because Christ is the one who has overcome. And because he's overcome, we overcome. So with this fight of faith that's on the inside of us, I want to challenge you with this idea or this thought I was thinking as I was praying. Excuse me as I pick up my hotel notes here. As I traveled around for the last several years, the first place when I graduated from Bible college, and I would say that the Bible college that I was trained in kind of was obviously a Pentecostal, kind of a word, faith, spiritual warfare, as I stated When I was released into ministry, the first place that I went was to Southeast Asia. When I went to Southeast Asia, it was kind of ironic because God released me into the Assemblies of God, which is what I came out of. I used to go to a church called CLC over on Mission Street in the Assemblies of God. 
I even went to Bethany Bible College, which isn't there anymore there in Scotts Valley. And that's kind of where my early Christian roots were at. And I remember hearing this uh, young whippersnapper, if you will. He was in his 20s. He was a prophetic voice back in the age. If I was to mention his name, many of you may know who he was. And I felt the call so strong that this is where I was to be. I began to ask the leaders that were in my church, the Assemblies of God back then. I said, you know, I'm really feeling called to go to this particular Bible college. It was a college that was, uh, he birthed it. I was a charter class member. So this is, when you go there, there's no accreditation, okay? It wasn't like the Assemblies of God in which you get a slip and you're ordained and there's this process there. And I remember going to my leaders and say, I really feel to go to this school. And so they began to question, well, who is this guy? Where is he from? And you know, I'm not sure quite about his doctrine, and he gets a little bit weird concerning demons and devils, and he began to say, they began to counsel me and begin to say, you know, if you go to this particular Bible college, you know that you won't be able to minister in the assemblies of God. And I remember thinking at the time, just instinctively, that was Babylonian advice, that I don't go somewhere because man can open up a door, that if God calls me to go through a door, it's God himself who will have to open up a door for me. And this was the whole irony, because when I ended up going, uh, after I got that advice, I was kind of betwixt. Lord, my leaders are telling me to do this, but yet I feel to do this. And I was walking up a a street in Santa Cruz called Morsi Boulevard. I used to do a prayer walk right there. And as I was walking down that street, I was like, God, I'm so betwixt. I don't know. I went to Bethany Bible College. I just didn't feel that was right. It wasn't for me. I feel to go there. I pull up the 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 courses that they had, and I just felt such a strong, I didn't know anything about being led by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know even the basics of hearing the voice of God. But I remember just crying out, God, if this is your will, I want to know. And it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street, weeping and crying, God, I want to know. And really, if I was to look back now with what I know, the Holy Spirit the whole time was telling me, go, 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 go. But because I was betwixt in my soul, I didn't know. So I was walking down the street crying out, God, I want to go. Should I go? And it sounded like, and this is the best way I can describe it, it sounded like a freight train. Has anybody ever been next to a freight train as it was going by? They're incredibly loud. It sounded like a freight train said, go, go, go. It it, It sounded 100 times louder than that, and it wasn't a scream. It was just boom, boom, boom. And it was so strong, and it was so loud, it spooked me. I jumped up. I thought someone was coming up behind me. Again, it was 11 o'clock at night, so I didn't know if I was, you know, if there's someone out in the bushes to jump out, and it just spooked me like that. And I was like, God, you just spoke to me, didn't you? I knew it was God. From that point, I told my dad, Dad, I got to go. And, of course, he released me. My dad's always been supportive of me. What's God tell His whole thing is, what did God tell you? Just do it. He didn't care. What did God tell you? Just do it. He always supported me in whatever decision that I made. So I ended up packing up, going down there, getting my formative ministry training down there. And a lot of things that I learned, I learned down there. And it's really where my, if you will, my spiritual DNA is a minister of the gospel, where it flourished and where it was incubated, if you will. After I graduated, they released me in a small group of people to Southeast Asia, to a place called Malaysia. And as I was there and began to travel, the Holy Spirit would begin to, you know, obviously the things that I learned in Bible college, now those in Southeast Asia were the guinea pigs for me. As I began to step out and begin to minister, 
And it's in that place that you make mistakes. Is this God? Is this not? Am I moving in the anointing? Or is it my soul? Is this God's idea? Or is this man's idea? And, and that's where the Lord began to, to, to train me and to teach me how to step out and minister in the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, there were some wild times, and there were so many things that the Lord taught me during that particular time. And as I began to travel, and the irony is, as I stated, the first churches that pastor in Southern California, my pastor, released me when I went to Southeast Asia, was the Assemblies of God, (laughs) which was the ones that told me that you would never be qualified or you would never be licensed to be able to preach in the churches. Well, not only was I preaching there, I wasn't even licensed to be there. I was marrying them. I was burying them. I was even doing leadership meetings. The lady who was the apostolic overseer over all of the assemblies of God released her churches to us by which us and a small team began to minister. And I thought, God, you're real funny. Sorry, you're not going to be able to minister in the assemblies of God in our church. And God sits there and says, no, when I open up a door, no man can shut it. This woman ended up opening up doors throughout Southeast Asia, specifically within uh, West Malaysia, and opened up doors to us. We were not only going there ministering. We'd start having Holy Ghost meetings, and we had uh, Assemblies of God preachers and pastors coming, and, and we were training them And how do you move in the Holy Ghost, and really, if you will, reacquaint them with the heritage that they have of Pentecost because it was getting lost. And this is the thing that I wanted to bring to your attention So it's nothing with the IPHC. It's a theme within Pentecost that I want to address, that I want to uh, bring to your uh, kind of attention. Within Pentecost, there is a strong spirit of poverty. A strong spirit of poverty. What do I mean with that? First of all, let me bring qualification what I don't mean by that. When I say a spirit of poverty... I'm not talking finances. That's the first thing you need to know. Because sometimes when we think, oh, spirit of poverty, well, that means you must be rich. I'm not talking about that at all. Actually, all that is is a fruit of an inward condition. And what I want to examine here is the inward condition because that spirit of poverty seeks to want to direct our paths and our operation and keep us in a place of poverty. But it's not a wealth issue. It's something in the realm of the spirit, if that makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? The second thing is, is the spirit of poverty is not to be confused with what Jesus said about the poor in spirit. When Jesus talked about the poor in spirit, actually that's contrary to a a poverty spirit, because those who are poor in spirit means that they are totally rich in him. Meaning, God, there's nothing inside of me. There's no goodness. I'm poor in myself, but I need you and you hunger. And that's what he says. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. So actually, the poverty spirit is the antithesis of being poor in spirit. Because when you're poor in spirit, you're actually rich or spiritually rich, if you will. Does that make sense? So... I know it's a little bit of a semantics, but I think it was important to address this issue. When we talk about, for example, in an altar call, and this is one of the things that I began to see, and especially with new believers that came in the various places, and we'd have altar calls. You know, one of the things that God would begin to do is we began to move in the Holy Spirit, and 
even as I made mention here earlier, what would, Jesus, what would you do if Jesus was here and you knew he was a healer, right? Would you just stay by the, the wayside and just, well, I'm just receiving. I'm content. You see, the poverty spirit wants you to be simply content with where you are. Now, listen, the Bible does say be content in all places or in all things. But it does not mean that you don't need to have or want desires. We often think those are contrary to each other's, but they're not. They're two sides of the same coin, just as there are heads and there are tails. There's nothing wrong with having the fight of faith in you that God has spoken something. He's put desires and purposes on the inside, and you fight and you war and you go after those things because you have a great hunger and a thirst to see God get glory in that. Are you here? And here in the book of John, let's turn there. In the book of John, chapter 15, Verse 7. And when you're there, say amen. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if you abide in me, say abide in me. So there's the qualification right there. Jesus is obviously talking about people that are in him. He's not talking about the hypocrite. He's not talking about the unbeliever. He's talking about the, perp- the, the, the person who's purposed himself to be inside of him. This is not just the casual person who lives for himself, but the person who lives for Christ. Abide, if you abide in me, notice this, and, that's a word of conjunction, and my words abide in you. That means when God speaks to you, do you execute on what he tells you to do? When he speaks to you, no matter how hard that word may be. For example, when, you know, my wife and I wanted to stay over in Southeast Asia. This is my testimony. When God said, will you go to the cross? Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. I knew he meant go back to Santa Cruz. And believe me, I did not want to, nor both of us did we want to go back to Santa Cruz. Ministry was going well. We had open doors going all over. I mean, uh, (laughs) Your pastors joke and say, we're rock stars. You should have seen us over there. Hello. I mean, things were really happening. And in my soul, I could have said, but God, I want to serve you over here. We can produce more fruit over there. We can get more people saved over there. We can get more people discipled over there. We have more open doors over there. And we can begin to spiritualize our disobedience. You see, we often think of just the evil part. I'm going to go drink and I'm going to go commit adultery. No, 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 no. You can spiritualize and make the God things just good things and try to deceive even God. But the only person you deceive is yourself. So when God says, even though the doors are open and we had great success all throughout Southeast Asia, literally hundreds and even thousands of people were ministering some of the biggest churches that there were and god says will you go to a church of about 35 to 50 people in santa cruz in which the assemblies of god and pentecost over there has really been sinking there there's really almost no pentecostal witness over there and even as your pastor has prayed that that liberalism is literally taken over and it's hijacked and it's created a hard spiritual atmosphere that we're sitting there and we're hitting and we're praying and we're believing to get a breakthrough so that we can have a visitation of God again. So when God says that, will you go to the cross? 
you have to make a determination. Are you going to allow his words to abide on the inside of you? And the way his words abide on the inside of you is do you execute in action what he tells you to do? You see, I don't know if you obey God or not. You don't know if I obey God. We can sit here and we can use all the Christianese and the cliches and that we hide within our Christian culture. But the truth of the matter is, is you know when you place your head down to sleep tonight, when God speaks to you with that still small voice, you know whether you've been obedient or not. Whether anybody's ever discerned it or not, you know. And God is the one who's the judge of those secret thoughts and those intents and that when he comes upon you and he keeps continually moving upon you, you resist him and you resist him and you resist him. I've always wanted to be a person. God, you speak to me. I want to execute on everything you say. I am your servant. Bid me. What do you want me to do? And so as I began to go overseas and when you see here, and, and let me get, get back to this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice this. You will ask what you desire. Notice it doesn't say you will ask what you need. Why is that? Because God's not moved by your need, my friend. God's moved by faith. If God was moved by need, he'd be moved, he'd be moved in some of the most poverty-stricken areas of India and Africa, but he's not. Because he's not moved by need. He's looking and he's moved by people when they believe on him and say, God, you can do it. And he gets drunk off of their belief and says, I'm going to move heaven and earth in order to do what that man or woman says. And I want you to notice here what it says. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you, what is it? Desire. So I ask you, what are your desires? And this is kind of the point I wanted to bring. Sometimes what happens, especially in altar calls, is I've ministered the various Pentecostal churches, foreign and domestic abroad. I'll ask people, what is it you want? And some of the answers that I get show me and reveal to me that there really isn't desires on many of the believers, and it becomes disheartening. Well, I just want, here's the typical one. Well, I just want whatever the Lord wants. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a prayer of consecration. But we don't live there. He says, whatsoever things you desire. He didn't say whatsoever things he desires. It's already given that if you abide in him and his word abides in me, it's already given that you want what he wants. So the question is, is what do you desire, church? Not what are your needs. God isn't moved by your needs. He's moved by your desires. When you had a blind man, Bartimaeus, Imagine, he's crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, he has a need, but it's more than a need. It's a desire he has. He executes not on his need. Many of us have needs, but we don't execute on our need. We execute on our desires. Are you here? And so blind Barnabas, Jesus, son of David, and the Bible says when he heard Jesus is walking by, I think I've told this story here, read it from the Bible here. As he began to sit there and shout out, why did he do that? Because he heard, faith cometh by hearing. A desire was provoked by faith that led him to begin to shout out. And of course, he can't see. So he can't make a movement towards Jesus. If he could see him, he would make a movement. But what did he do? He executed upon a desire. 
He didn't just pray at night. Oh, Jesus, if it's your will, will you just come and will you heal my eyes? It may have stayed like that. It may have started, excuse me, as that. But it didn't stay in that place. It didn't stay in that place of passivity. And many Christians are living in a state of passivity and they don't have a fight. And that's my concern. Where's your fight? There's no fight. Because of a poverty spirit, we'll sit there and squeeze the desires right out of you to try and spiritualize you in your weakness. Are you here? So he sits there and he screams and he cries out. Right? You know the story. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, Jesus stops. Why? Because he hears. He hears what? Desire. He heard a desire. It was a passion on the inside of him. Passion, desire, what I call the fight, the good fight of faith. The poverty spirit doesn't want you to have a fight. Again, get finances out of your head. It has to do with the poverty spirit says, look, what you got, just be content with that no more. Those desires, those desires are evil on the inside of you. No, they're not. Are you abiding in him? Is his word abiding in you? Has God given you a promised land? Fight for your promised land. But the question is, is what, is you, what do you want? Oftentimes when I have altar calls, as I say before, I sit there and say, what do you want? Well, just whatever the Lord wants. Lord, I just thank you for this person right now. I come into an agreement with his prayer request. So we come before you and we beseech you. Lord, I ask you for nothing because that's what he wants. Nothing. Lord, if you can do your will in him, do your will in him. What do you want? When the blind man came before him after he's crying out and there was a fight, a passion. I want to see. He comes before Jesus. You've heard the story. The, you've seen a blind man, some of you. I lived in third world nations. Believe me, when they're blind, you know they're blind. And usually overseas, they don't wear sunglasses. They can't afford them. So he's marred in his eyes, just the white of it. You can see him coming up. And Jesus has the audacity to sit there and says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you mean? What? Jesus, don't you see? Don't you know his need? Jesus, why don't you execute and pray for him on his need? But Jesus is probing, what's your desire? And that's the reason why he calls him because he's probing. He's investigating because he's a shepherd of men's hearts and the thoughts. And he's probing to see, is this thought translated into a desire? Because the desire will execute into an action. Hence, he's yelling and he's screaming. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, when he, what do you want? In an altar call, if you will. Not an altar call that Jesus decided to have, but an altar call that was created by the blind man. You see, you're the one who creates altar calls, not a pastor. 
I create altar calls in my prayer closet. Can I tell you about one altar call I had? When I was in Bible college, I was reading a book by F.F. Bosworth called Christ the Healer. And when I was reading that book, I was sitting there and I looked on the outside of this cover. I was getting so much, I was marking it up. You know how it is. You're getting revelation. You're sitting there and I marked it in yellow highlighters. I went through it again. The second time, pink highlighters. Third time through, green highlighters. And my whole book was highlighted. I had it underlined and parentheses and squared up. And, and I was doing all the Greek and the Hebrew and contextual. And I was like, oh, my God, this book is so wonderful. This early Pentecostal pioneer and a teacher. I'm reading Christ the Healer. And I looked on the outside. And it said over a million copies. And I thought to myself, a million people have read this diamond? How come there isn't more healing in the church? And I remember, I know this is weird. I remember chucking it and said, I want everything that's in this book. I want healing inside of me. And when I threw the book, I know I'm a little bit strange. When I threw that book, it wasn't out of anger, out of the book. I just was so passionate. I want this healing. I felt, boom, a flash of the anointing go right through me. And I believe there was a healing anointing that came at that moment. From reading a book, a testimony, just like if you were to read the Bible, something that came in. But there was something on the inside of me that had a fight. People are reading this? Jesus heals people. Do people even know this? There was something on the inside of me that is a fight. With the interns, I try everything that I can to, if you will, whet their appetite to be fighters. I'll take them for example. I'll take them to, uh, I remember one time we took a small group to go to Benny Hinn. Now listen, I don't need healing. I don't need, you know, uh, peace of mind. I got all these things. So there's really nothing from the ministry of Benny Hinn, if you will, and I'm not trying to be mean, that I really need that I would go all the way up to Oakland in order to get it. Maybe if I was sick in my body or something like that, yes, I need that healing anointing, that touch, I'm going to go after it. But the reason why I bring a small group with me is because I want them to watch me what I do when I go there. First thing I do is I say, you guys, you better keep up right behind me. As soon as the doors open, I run to the front. I don't... I want them to see me. I say, you guys better keep up with me. And I run to the front. I want them to see my faith in action. I'm going to get something. Yes, sweetie. That was Shelly. I'm going to get to that next. Pastor Shelly, our executive pastor, came in with some ladies in her car. I think she got locked out is what it was. But we came from Santa Cruz to Oakland. And guess what? Just like the man who came in through the roof, we're getting in. So Shelly sits there, and she tells the ladies that are with her, stay on my tail. And so she beelines. She goes into this place a couple of rooms down, cuts in there. You know, I think that's full of people. She busts right in through there and interrupted their meeting, came in through the side into a curtain, into another room, into a small room, came in through the back, and ended up getting up, fr up front right where we were at. <laughs> While all the ladies behind were going like this, embarrassed. She's like, and that's how I was, follow me. We're getting up front, and they're like, <laughs> Believe it or not, that was actually spiritual, though you may not think that. To go after something, to pursue something, so that when the anointing comes, 
and he begins to minister, guess what? Me placing my faith, God, I'm going to receive. Do you know whenever we get ministers, especially in Bible college, we get special ministers that would come in. I'd be like, Lord, whatever that person has, I want. Every, it's a confession and a thought that I would have in my mind. Whatever that person has, I want everything. And I would march up to the front. I'm ready to receive everything. There was something on the inside of me that would fight for what was mine. I didn't go and just simply have this passive spirit about me. Kind of like, well, whatever happens, whatever happens. Blind Bartimaeus didn't just say, well, Jesus is walking by. And call his blind people next to him and say, let's have a prayer meeting right now. And let's intercede that Jesus takes a different direction and comes by me. But sometimes we do that in the church. Right? Spiritualize oftentimes the fact that we don't have a fight inside of us. Are you here? Well, if it's God's will. That's another one. If it's God's will, brother, I guess it wasn't his will. He kept walking by. That right there, the Bible calls unbelief. I'm terming it amongst us Pentecostal is a spirit of poverty. Poverty that says, be content with where you are. Don't fight. I want to keep you in weakness. Stay in your wilderness. Be content with it. How dare you? You must be arrogant to think that you can get your promised land. How dare you rise up and say, no, I will be healed in Jesus' name, whether there's an altar call or not. So I ask the question again, if Jesus was to walk in through here again, come up to the front, do a nice homily for 15 minutes, say, wasn't that a wonderful service right now? We're going to just close in a benediction. And uh, God bless you guys, and I'll walk out the back. For those who are sick, would you sit there? Uh, no, that ain't going to happen right now. I need healing in my body. Are you getting this picture? There has to be a fight on the inside of us. The woman with the issue of blood, you've heard this. She said, if I only touch the hem of his garment, not I might be if it's his will. I will be made whole. There was a fight of passion. Listen, that was her desire. What's your desire? Sometimes, as I stated, when people come forward, what is it you want? Well, just whatever the Lord wants. Sometimes they'll say, I don't know, pastor, just pray. And there's nothing wrong with it. Please, please don't hear what I'm not saying. The question I'm asking you, what are the desires on the inside? Because the desires on the inside is what you're going to execute on. That's what you'll give your life to. In fact, that's what you'll lay your life down for. The woman with the issue of blood, I want you to take into consideration. She went years and years and years with the thought, I want to be made whole. And she never gave up. Correct? In fact, it dictated the course of her life year after year after year after year. 
So when she went to the doctor, the local doctor, wherever she was at, and the doctor said, honey, sorry, there's nothing we can do. She can go, oh, rats. Oh, well, I guess I'm just going to die. She goes, well, thank you for that. Let's go get a second opinion. So she ran across town to the other side of town and said, here's some money right here. Listen, can you do something? Oh, sorry, doesn't look good. We did the CAT scans. We did all these things. It doesn't look so good for you. Thank you. I think we'll get a third opinion on this. Went to another city over there and did that for not just months, but for years and years and wasted her money. Why? It was her passion to be made whole. It wasn't just a casual, well, we'll see. It was a fight on the inside of her because it was a desire. Whatsoever things you desire. Now watch this. Whatsoever things you desire. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire. Watch this. And it shall be done for you. And it shall be done for you. Now watch this. This isn't the end of it. Here's the good part. Verse 8. By this. By what? By number one, you having desires. By you executing on your desires. By this, my Father is glorified. So let me say this way without breaking the context of Scripture. When you have no desires, you don't bring glory to God. Well, I don't know. It's whatever the Lord wants. Oh, you don't want to bring glory to God, do you? Right? And what does the poverty spirit say? Don't have desires. Don't rise up in your passion. Don't rise up in that spirit of faith that wants to go to war. Did you know Exodus says that the Lord is a warrior? Where's the Lord at? He's on the inside of you. Of course, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he resides on the inside of you. The overcomer lives on the inside of you. And if he's called the overcomer and the overcomer's inside of you, there has to be something that he overcomes in your life. In other words, you will face situations by which you have to overcome. And if there wasn't any situations, it would be just coming, not overcoming. In other words, God positions you and postures you and puts desires on the inside of you because he wants to have the fight of faith on the inside of you rise up so that you overcome something, so that when you overcome something, you can sit there and say, God's the one who did this. But if we just kind of passively just allow a poverty spirit to just sit there and condemn us, And make us feel guilty for having desires because you should just stay in this place of defeat. What ends up happening is we end up praying this place and then dying in this place. We're like the children in the wilderness who are always crying out, oh God. And God says, listen, fight to get in there. Fight to get in there. Have the fight of faith on the inside of you and lay hold and grab it. Whenever I go and I minister, especially overseas and as I stated, one of the things that I do when I move out in the spirit is I'm always looking who has the fight on the inside of them because it's easy to minister to them. Just like when Jesus, he saw a man, the Bible says, he saw their faith. 
Now, I don't know about you. That doesn't make sense because all I see is him digging through a, a roof. Right? Jesus saw a man destroying property and called it faith. He saw a man destroying property, another man's property, and saw faith there. How do you like that? Now, if I'm the owner of that house, I'm like, I know you see faith there, but this guy better have some insurance because he's going to pay for that. Gets up on top of the roof. Why? Because he wants to be made whole. He's not waiting for an altar call. He's not waiting for these things. He's making it happen by his faith. Stepping out. Boom. That's why I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. In fact, I think the last time I was here, he was in a big auditorium. He was preaching. Made a statement to the congregation. The Lord just told me, I'm going to walk to the back, walk to the forward. Whoever touches me, they're going to be made whole. He proceeded to do it, walked to the back, walked forward. You know the story. I think there was only one, two, or three people out of an auditorium of several hundred that touched him. And the people that touched him were made whole. I ask you this question, church. The reason why that was done was because there was three people that were willing to fight. The rest sat by passive. Are you here? It's awfully quiet in here in this wonderful Pentecostal church. I'm trying to provoke your faith. The altar calls of Jesus were not at the front of the synagogues all the time. They were along the road. The woman with the issue of blood, that was along the road. Blind Barnabas, that was in the road. In fact, it shocked him. Whoa, man, this anointing that I usually feel in a connect group house, right? A cell group house. Or in the synagogues that I usually feel when I cast out devils, when they're manifesting there. I All of a sudden, I feel in the middle of the road, someone touched me who touched me. The anointing's operating right now in the most unusual place. Why? Because the fight of faith inside of people draw the anointing. You have the ability, you do, To resist the anointing or to draw upon the anointing? You do. You do. Have the power. And it's all according to what's up here. Are you here? Matthew chapter 14. You learning something? As I've been kind of prodding out there. Not what is it you want, what is it you desire. Now don't raise your hand. I don't want you to just get religious and raise your hand because your neighbor raised up your hand. How many say they have some desires inside of you? Some desires. And again, if you're like, I'm not too sure, I don't know about that. You may just say, you know what, I need a fresh touch or a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. I know for me, sometimes, you know, like I said, when I went to the Benny Hen meeting, I didn't need healing, but I want a fresh touch by God. I need a fresh touch. I need a, a refreshing to come over my life. I want that. And so I take it by faith. Are you here? How many here? Let me see. All right. About three of you. Praise God. You're all here on a Sunday night. I'm thinking it's a little bit more. 
Watch this. What did I say? Matthew chapter 14. Is that what I said? Matthew chapter 14. We're going to go to verse 34. Matthew 14, verse 34. Still here, pages. I'll wait a moment. Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. There we go. All right. Can you hear me now? I hope you just didn't start hearing me just now. That would be bad. (laughs) It says this. When they crossed over, they came to the land of uh, Gensaret. Gensaret, I'm not a Greek scholar, so we'll just have to leave it at that. Verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized him. Say recognized him. In other words, they're walking. Whoa, is that Jesus? I got to get my specs on. It is him. Notice from at the point in which they recognize him, what they do. Now, this is important. Watch this. They recognized him. They sent out into all the surrounding region. In other words, this is a coordinated effort. Like, hey, guys, okay, you go over to the east side of the city. You go to the west side. You go down to the south. You go to the north. And here's what we've got to do. Because he's here. They obviously have in their mind of what they think is going to happen just upon seeing Jesus. And the men of that place recognized him. They sent out into that surrounding region, brought to him all, say all. I want you to notice that. All. So where's the faith? The faith is actually in the people that said, hey, you know what? Start getting everybody. Do you know I had that happen one time? Can I tell you a story? One of the greatest preachers that I ever heard is a guy who's not actually an American. He's a Nigerian. His name is Ayo Osezafal. And this guy, brother, he can preach. Probably the best preacher I've ever heard. He doesn't need a microphone when he's speaking to a thousand. And he's got such a beautiful, booming voice. He's shorter than me, about 5'9". He's a Nigerian, and he wears that Nigerian, he looks like a prince, the Nigerian robe. He looks like literally like a prince. When he laid hands on me, again, he's 5'9", so he's shorter than this white boy. The back of his fingers went to the back of my head. He's got huge hands. And when he prays for you, he had a basin of oil up front, and he dips his hands in the oils. Power! 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 And that's what he does. And how I was just loud in here, he would be twice that loud without this microphone. The best preacher. In fact, I want to make a trip just to Nigeria to get that again. Power! The first time I got prayed for him, coming from my AG church, that went seeker sensitive, and so I didn't really know about the power of God until I actually get out of the AG church. But anyways, that's another story. This is the 
one of the first guys that I saw. Welcome to power of the spirit. And had an altar call. I went up front because I wanted impartation. There was something inside of me that was drawn, that I needed that. That was the answer to the life. Not that he himself is a God, but he carried the presence and the power of God. So I went there, God, I want everything that I, wow, this is, oh my goodness, look, oh my. So I went up front, and there's a picture even in my yearbook of this. He goes to lay hands. He's going down as I say, power, power. When he lays hands on me, God as my witness, I didn't just fall back gracefully. Boom. It was like a shotgun. Feet went back, knocked down the usher behind me and landed in the front row. I felt like I was hit by a lightning bolt. I tried to get up this AG white boy, and I couldn't do it. Just went back out again. I was out for probably about 20 minutes. Watch this. Watch this. When I got up, when I began to just pray in the spirit, because I started learning how to pray in the spirit, I had this weird Nigerian oingo boingo time. Every time I opened my mouth to pray in the spirit, I prayed in this weird African language. It freaked my mind out. That happened for three months. I could not open up my mouth and I sounded like an African. Freaked my soul out. How did that come? I want what that man has. After I graduated, when he came back and he prayed, guess what? I went overseas. Power! Boom! People were getting healed. Devils started popping out of people. And I didn't know really at the time in Nigeria that every time he prays for people, people start flipping out and devils start coming out. That's where I got impartation. How did it come? Because this boy was there and said, I want everything that guy had. I ne- wow, give it to me, God. I didn't just say, well, if it's your will, God. Someone provoked me to come to the altar call. I said, I want that. I'm going to move. When I came back, Io was in the church again. Can I tell you how your faith can move on behalf of other people? Do you know that? Yet yeah, your faith can move on behalf of other people, just like the woman. My daughter is at home, and she's demonized. She needs healing, right? I was witnessing in Newport Beach, and we would witness in the area, and people would come out of the bars, you know, on a Saturday night, right? We'd be down there passing tracks out. Newport Beach is wild. Can be wild. Huntington Beach is really wild. And I remember that, you know what? I'm going to see if I can get the people from the bars into the church to see Io because I was so radically transformed by the power of God that it, it literally, like I said, it hit me like a lightning bolt. So this one lady comes out and of course she was kind of flirty like that. And as I tell my church, I wasn't, 
uh, trying to be flirty in order to get a conversion or anything. How did I? I'm not sure quite how I said it. Uh, I, I wasn't trying to flirt to convert. It was her that was flirting. I was just bringing the converting. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? Hey, you know, uh, here's my friend over here. This is this lady friend we were all witnessing there and ended up inviting her, bringing her to the church. So she shows up to church the next morning from the Newport Beach Bar. And there's Io. First time. This Newport girl, high society girl. Right there. And here's Io. And I'm an usher there that day, that evening. And this woman, I, she was sitting with my friends that invited her to church. And so when it came to the altar call, there goes Io. Again, power, power, power. This woman went. I mean, of course, it was wild to her. And so as an usher, I was saying to my friends, get her up here. Get her up there. And I could see my friends trying to come up here. She's like. And she's like, she doesn't want to. Go. I didn't ask you to I tell her to get up there. Drag her. You, you should. And they're trying to diplomatically and everything. So I. Now, this is the way I evangelize, okay? I'm not suggesting you need to do this. This is the way God works through me. Went there. Grabbed her. Pulled her. She just went and she yielded. I put her up at the front. Here comes Io. Power! Boom! Same thing happens. Like a lightning bolt. Knocks her down. She's gone. She ends up getting up. You can tell she's thinking, what just went on here? She goes to sit down. I'm, and, and my whole thing is, if I'm only going to see you one time, I'm going to make it count. You're going to remember this boy. When you come out of the bars, I only got one shot. I'm not going to be all nice. You're going to remember this boy. That's what I'm thinking. Because if you stand before the Lord, I want the Lord to say, yeah, you remember that crazy white boy that invited you to church? Remember him? And then remember the, and the, 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 the Ocesifo, the Nigerian, the power? So after the service, and there's about 800 people there in the service, she's sitting there. Ayo brings it to a close. And before he does, he goes like this. You can tell he's looking. And he walks up again, 600 people to 800 people. He's looking, like he's looking for somebody. And he goes, he catches this lady's eye. He says, come here. She reluctantly comes up front. And he, in front of six to 800 people, puts the microphone behind him and has a conversation for about two to three minutes. And two and three minutes in front of six to 800 people feels like a half hour. And you can tell he's leading her to the Lord. He went through the crowd, spotted her, brought her up front, ministered for two to three minutes. You could see a tear coming through her eyes. She's going like this. And then at the end, she falls out. Gets baptized in the Holy Spirit right there. How did that happen? Expectation, but faith. She's going to get it. I'm going to pull her up front. That is what the fight of faith can do. Don't allow the enemy to flog your faith. Rise up in strength. 
and fight the good fight of faith. And everyone says, and everyone says, let me tell you one more story. Is this okay? We still got another three hours. All right, hallelujah. I'm just teasing. I am all about spiritual atmospheres, meaning I want to be right where God's at. I want to pull on God. How many have heard of Rodney Howard Brown? Anybody? Back in the early 90s, he was called the laughing evangelist. Okay? He was a guy that I had seen in Singapore. This was kind of at the beginning more of his ministry in which there was a whole Toronto outpouring, if you remember, during that particular time. Well, I went over to the Southeast Asia, and I heard that he was coming. And at this time, this is when he was packing out the convention centers. So me and my friend had the opportunity to go see him. And so we went to this meeting in which Rodney Howard Brown was there. And when we were there, because we were ministers, we had the uh, opportunity to sit where the ministers were at. Okay, and all the ministers, of course, they were very, they were from all over Southeast Asia, from Australia, Japan, you name it, all over Asia. And so many of them, you could tell they were very starchy and they were very uptight. And, they, and, and we were there and we were just doing itinerary. Again, we were just young guys. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I don't know if I want to sit there. And over to the right, there was a bunch of young people there. I mean, they were like, oh, yeah. I mean, they were so happy. They were so full of zeal to be there. And my friend Derek and I were there, and we thought, you know what? We just don't want to be here because it felt kind of a little bit uptight. We wanted to be where the young people were at. So we ended up going to sit in that area where the young people were at. Rodney Howard Brown gets up. And he begins to minister, and within five minutes or so, I would say, he walks in front of where the minister section was at and says this. Well, if there was an outpouring here, something to this effect, it would take a miracle to do it. It ain't going to happen or something like that. I mean, he rebukes them sharply. And then he turns to the young people over here, which is where we were sitting, says, but these guys, these guys are ready right now. And they're like, woohoo, hallelujah, yeah. And then he begins and he released it by going, fire! And I'm telling you, the anointing went right through. I'd say there was three, 400 of these young people right up into that section. Knocked us all down. Knocked me down behind the seat. I mean, the power of God just knocked us out. Spiritual atmosphere. Notice, that is where the hunger was at. Even within an auditorium in a spiritual atmosphere, you can know where God is even going to move simply because of the appetite of the people. Are you here? I want to provoke you in your faith. What is it that you desire? When I went there, I didn't care. I just wanted more of God. 